On this fourth Sunday of Advent, our promise is that peace has come. But as you look around the world today, you might be wondering, if peace has come, where is it? I mean, we have wars in Ukraine and around the rest of the world. We have political fighting. We have social chaos, it seems like. We have families being torn apart. Um, daily living for many people is overwhelming because of inflation or mental health, uh, expectations that people have on each other, child care, sickness, death, just all kinds of things that are coming at us today. Everyone wants peace, but where is it? In 2000, uh, December of 2000, a movie came out that you may have seen called Miss Congeniality. It starred Sandra Bullock. Um, it was a comedy. Uh, she was Gracie Hart, an undercover detective. Um, she was a hard-charging tomboy kind of girl, but she was put undercover because of a bond threat in a beauty pageant. So the comedy goes through as she's trying to put on the, the girly, girly stuff and learn how to do makeup and work, walk in high heels and all that kind of stuff. But towards the end, there's a scene that's, that um, each contestant is asked this question by the judges. What is the most important thing our society needs? And each one of them maybe predictably answered world peace. Everyone wants peace. Beauty pageant contestants want peace. Politicians on the campaign trail talk about peace. Commercials on TV talk about peace. We have symbols that we've grown up with, uh, the dove that shows peace or the olive branch or the peace sign. Um, matter of fact, there's another peace sign that's that round one with a symbol inside that has an interesting story. That was developed by an artist named Gerald Holtam in 1958. Um, he was in England. He was part of a group called CND, or the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. And as nuclear weapons were proliferating at that time, they were trying to, to get countries to not escalate the nuclear stuff. And so they asked him to come up with a symbol that would kind of be part of their identity as a group. And so he came up with this peace sign symbol, and he got it from the idea from semaphore. Now, some of you may know what semaphore is. Uh, in World War II, my dad was a signalman in the Navy, and he used semaphore. Semaphore, they had flags, and on, from one ship to the other, they would do different positions for different letters to signal messages between ships. And so depending on where those flags were, it was a different letter. So um, this designer, Gerald, um, came up with the letter N, which was flags down and away from you, which is part of that peace symbol, and the letter D, which is one flag straight up, one flag straight down. And so you see that in that symbol as nuclear um, de-escalation is what they were looking for. So that symbol then came to the United States in the 60s uh, as people were protesting the Vietnam War, and it's been with us ever since. It's a universal symbol that we look at for peace. It's on clothing and jewelry and all kinds of different things. Everyone wants peace. The reality is we talk a lot about peace, but as a world, we haven't been able to pull it off very well. New York Times in 2003 said this, War is defined as an act of conflict that has claimed more than a 1,000 lives. Over the past 3,400 years, that's 1,400 years before Christ was born, the last 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for 268 of them, just 8% of known civilization. At least 108 million people were killed in wars in the 20th century alone. Charles Beck wrote in 2020, only 15 years out of the entirety of the 20, uh, 244 years the United States has been in existence have been peaceful, only 15 years without conflict. Everybody wants peace. 
We've been running after peace since the beginning of known civilization. And it seems like even with our vast resources, all our technology, all those kinds of things, we still can't bring about lasting peace. There's a, there's a website out there that I want to encourage you to, to check out sometime. Uh, we tell our students to check this out as well as our leaders. It's called gotquestions.org. Great website, biblically based, um, questions about scripture, questions about life. So gotquestions.org, check it out sometime. I just typed in the word peace, and here's just a little bit of what it said in that, uh, in gotquestions.org. Whether or not peace can be realized through disarmament is a subject of continuing debates. But the desire for peace is universal. We live in a world of unrest, in a world that tragically searches for peace through a variety of fruitless avenues. True peace is found in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace who brings us peace with God and will ultimately establish a kingdom of peace on earth out of Isaiah chapter 11. And that's what the shepherds heard from the angel that night as they were watching their flocks. In Luke 2.14, it said, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Everyone wants peace and God has provided a way of peace through his son, Jesus Christ. But let's be clear, God's promise of peace is different than from what most people are looking for today. He's not talking about world peace. He isn't talking about wealth and prosperity. He isn't talking about a life without conflict or a life without disappointments. You know, there's a Christmas kind of version of this Luke 2.14. It comes from the King James Version of the Bible, not a great translation of this particular passage. And it says, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And in that translation, especially goodwill towards men, it kind of seems like it's talking about everybody's going to be at peace with each other, that we're not going to have conflicts with each other, God's at peaceful with everybody. And that's not what this verse says. Most other translations translate it something like what was read today, peace on earth with whom God is pleased. Jesus came to all people and wishes all to come to faith in him. His offer of peace doesn't discriminate, but God's clear peace on earth can only be available to those that follow him. Peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Everyone wants peace, and you can find it today. It begins with finding peace with God. The only thing that stands between you and peace on this earth, as well as peace with God, is you. Has your life been in turmoil? Does it seem that you're always fighting, always angry, always have your guard up, never able to rest? Does it seem that you can't shake the conflict that's all around you? What you're experiencing is a result of your separation from God. Everyone wants peace. Craig Rochelle is a pastor of a large covenant church. Uh, also, their church developed the Life Bible, that, that Bible app that many of you use on your phones. Um, and he said this, If we needed advice, God would have sent a counselor. If we needed different laws, God might have sent a politician. If we needed education, God would have sent a teacher. But but we needed forgiveness, and we needed hope, and we needed healing, so God sent a Savior. You can experience peace today by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith... We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The peace that God offers, he offers it through relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's foundational to our life. 
You don't have peace in your life without finding peace with God. If you need to find peace with God, you can find that this morning. Um, After the service, there's going to be a prayer team up here. They would love to pray with you and help you understand how you can have peace with God. Anyone on our staff would love to share with you how you can have peace with God. It's foundational for life. Everyone wants peace. And Jesus offers peace, but he offers it in the midst of Christ, in the midst of chaos. And that might sound like a strange statement. Being a Christian and experiencing peace with God does not guarantee a trouble-free life. We like to quote Jeremiah 29.11, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. It's a great verse. Some of us, that's a verse that we quote often and we, we hang our, just our, our life on. And some of us, we have it on our homes and on a plaque. Um, a lot of our confirmation students, that's the verse they, they like to, to quote as far as a verse that has meaning to them. And it's a great verse and it's a promise and it's true. But you need to know context of verses because when you look at the context, it may be different than how we look at that verse today. This verse was uh, written in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, and as a prophet, and if you've been reading through the Old Testament, we've read through Jeremiah um, as one of the prophets, several chapters of Jeremiah where he's telling the Jewish people, you have turned your back on God, so God has brought some things on you for punishment because of the way you've turned your back against God. And this verse is in the middle of this. These Jewish people have been um, in under the... um, under the thumb of Egypt, you know, the thumb of, of the Babylonians for several years. Um, they have been, they have been um, exiled. They're going to be exiled to Babylon, Babylon for 70 years. This is what the prophecy is going to be. So they have not had world peace. They have not had peace in their lives, in their country, in their homes. They're going to be ripped out of their homes. And God is saying this promise to them right there that there's a hope in the future. In the midst of the chaos that you have, in the midst of not being able to even see it in your lifetime, there is a hope and a future. God didn't promise the Jews immediate rescue from their suffering or hardship, and he doesn't promise that for us either. He did promise the Jews they had a plan for their lives, regardless of their current situation, and he promises to have a plan for our lives as well. He promised the Jews that they could have a hope and a future, and he gives us that same hope. He has our back, and our future is secure for all eternity in heaven. Matthew Henry was a preacher in the 1600s. Matthew Henry has written a whole bunch of commentaries that are used by pastors around the world even today to prepare sermons and to just understand what Scripture is talking about. But Pastor Matthew Henry knew God's peace, but he knew it through suffering. He was a guy that found a girl that he wanted to marry, fell in love. The girl's parents didn't want him to marry her. There was conflict from the beginning. They married anyway. Parents finally came around later. But um, she died while they, were, uh, while they were married as a younger woman. They had four children from that marriage that died. He had health problems for most of his life. And this is what he says about suffering. Safety consists not in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. Peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but rather is the confidence that he is there with you always. Peace is such a precious precious jewel that I would give anything for it but truth. 
He wouldn't compromise truth, but peace is way up there on what he was looking for in his life. Everyone wants peace. Again, from Craig Rochelle, that's a pastor of a large covenant church, said this, I'm guessing that in so many of your lives, just like mine, you're facing something that isn't what you planned. You don't have to understand a plan when you trust God has a purpose. And that's where my family lives right now because there's some things that are really hard for us to get our minds around, some very personal things that we wish were different, just like you. And we're believing by faith that some of the greatest, some of our greatest disappointments might actually have a purpose behind them. Mary and Joseph had a plan, but God had a purpose. And the good news is, you were that purpose. So how do you have peace in the midst of difficult situations? Jeremiah 29, 11 says we, that God has a plan. The next two verses tell us a little bit more about that. Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13 says, In those days, and this is in the days where you are under occupation, where you're going to be ripped out and go to Babylon, where everything seems to be dark, in those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Pray in the midst of your circumstances. God is listening, and he's got you. The peace he was offering them through faith would not be realized by their generation, but God had a plan. The peace that God offers gives us confidence that God has us no matter what. We may experience hardships, disappointments, and physical suffering, but God's got us. Everyone wants peace, and we are message bearers as believers of that peace. When we find peace with God, we're called to be peacemakers to those around us. First, within the body of Christ, within the church. Colossians 3 says this, Since God chose you to be holy people, he loves you. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, close yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So peacemakers, we're to be among the body of Christ, the believers. But we're also supposed to be peacemakers in the world. James 3.18 says, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. We have several grandkids, and I, read, I love reading stories to our grandkids. I especially love it when they're in those footy, snuggly pajamas, and you snuggle up in bed or in a big chair, and you read a story. It's just, it's just a, a great thing I love to do. Um, so today, I want to read you a story. Um, we'll call it Storytime with Grandpa Brian. Uh, but I want to read you a story. This comes from a book by Max Licato, one of my favorite authors. Um, he is a pastor, uh, was a missionary uh, has written several books and a master storyteller. This comes from the Applause of Heaven, and the chapter is called Seeds of Peace, and I'm just going to want to read you part of that chapter. I wish I had a big overstuffed chair up here, but stool will have to do. Want to see a miracle? Try this. Take a seed the size of a freckle. Put it under several inches of dirt. Give it enough water, light, and fertilizer, and get ready. A mountain will be moved. It doesn't matter that the ground is a zillion times the weight of the seed. The seed will push it back. Every spring, dreamers around the world plant tiny hopes 
in, unturned, or in overturned soil. And every spring, their hopes press against the impossible odds and blossom. Never underestimate the power of a seed. As far as I know, James, the epistle writer, wasn't a farmer, but he knew of a seed sown, he knew of the power of a seed sown in fertile soil. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap harvests of goodness. The principle for peace is the same as the principle for crops. Never underestimate the power of a seed. The story of Heinz is a good example. Europe, 1934. Hitler's plague of anti-Semitism was infecting the continent. Some would escape it. Some would die from it. But 11-year-old Heinz would learn from it. He learned the power of sowing seeds of peace. Heinz was a Jew. The Bavarian village of Firth, where Heinz lived, was being overrun by Hitler's thugs. Heinz's father, a schoolteacher, lost his job. Recreational activities ceased. Tensions mounted on the streets. The Jewish families clutched the traditions that held them together. The observance of the Sabbath, of Rosh Hashanah, of Yom Kippur, old ways took on new significance. As the clouds of persecution swelled and blackened, these ancient precepts were a precious cleft in a mighty rock. And as the streets became a battleground, such security meant survival. Hitler youth roamed the neighborhoods looking for trouble. Young Heinz learned to keep his eyes open. When he saw abandoned troublemakers, he would step to the other side of the street. Sometimes he would escape a fight, sometimes not. One day in 1934, a pivotal confrontation occurred. Heinz found himself face to face with a Hitler bully. A beating appeared inevitable. This time, however, he walked away unhurt. Not because of what he did, but because of what he said. He didn't fight back. He spoke up. He convinced the troublemaker that a fight was not necessary. He, his words kept battle at bay, and Heinz saw firsthand how the tongue can create peace. He learned the skill using words to avoid conflict, and for a young Jew in Hitler-ridden Europe, that skill had many opportunities to be honed. Fortunately, Heinz's family escaped from Bavaria and made their way to America. Later in life, he would downplay the impact those adolescence experiences had on his development. But one has to wonder, for after Heinz grew up, his name became synonymous with peace negotiations. His legacy became that of a bridge builder. Somewhere he had learned the power of a properly placed word of peace. One has to wonder if his training didn't come on the streets of Bavaria. You don't know him as Heinz. You know him by his anglicized name, Henry, Henry Kissinger. Never underestimate the power of a seed. And how are you at growing seeds of peace? You may not be called to ward off international conflict, but you will have opportunities to, to do something more vital, to bring inner peace to troubled hearts. Jesus modeled this. We don't see him settling many disputes or negotiating conflicts, but we do see him cultivating inward harmony through acts of love. Washing the feet of men he knew would betray him, having lunch with a, corp with a corrupt tax official, honoring the sinful woman whose society had scorned. He built bridges by healing hurts. He prevented conflict by touching the interior. He cultivated harmony by sowing seeds of peace 
infertile hearts. Do me a favor. Pause for a moment and think about people who make up your world. Take a a stroll through the gallery of faces that are significant to you. Mentally flip through the scrapbook of snapshots featuring those you deal with often. Can you see their faces? Your spouse, your best friend, your golf buddies, your friends at PTA, your kids, your aunt across the country, your neighbor across the street, the receptionist at work, the new secretary in the next office. Freeze frame those mental images for a moment while I tell you something of how they're feeling. I went to our family doctor not long ago. I went for my first checkup since the one required for high school football 17 years ago. Since I was overdue, I ordered the works. One nurse put me on a table and stuck little cold suction cups to my chest. Another nurse wrapped a heavy band around my arm and squeezed a black bulb until my arm tingled. Then they pricked my finger, which always hurts, and told me to fill a cup, which is always awkward. Then with all the preliminaries done, they put me in a room and told me to take off my shirt and wait for the doctor. There is something about being poked and pushed and measured and drained that makes you feel like a head of lettuce in a supermarket produce department. I sat on a tiny stool and uh, and stared at the wall. May I tell you something you know, but may have forgotten? Somebody in your world feels like I felt in that office. The daily push and shove of the world as a way of leaving us worked over and worn out. Someone in your gallery of people is sitting on a cold stool of insecurity, clutching the backside of a hospital gown for fear of exposing what little pride he or she has left. And that person desperately needs a word of peace. Someone needs, to do, needs you to do for them what Dr. Jim did for me. Now, Jim is a small-town doctor in a big city. He still remembers names and keeps pictures of babies he did, delivered on his post of, in his office bulletin board. And though you know he's busy, he makes you feel like you're his only patient. After a bit of small talk and a few questions about my medical history, he put down my file and said, let me take off my doctor hat for a minute and talk to you as a friend. That chat lasted maybe five minutes. He asked me about my family. He asked me about my workload. He asked me about my stress. He told me he thought I was doing a good job at the church and that he loved to read my books. Nothing profound, nothing probing. He went no deeper than I allowed, but I had a feeling he would have gone to the bottom of the pit with me had I needed him to. After those few minutes, Dr. Jim went about his task of tapping my knee with his rubber hammer, staring down my throat, looking into my ear, and listening to my chest. When he was all done, as I was buttoning up my shirt, he took his doctor hat off again and reminded me not to carry the world on my shoulders. And be sure to love your wife and hug those kids because without, when it all boils down to it, you're not much without them. Thanks, Jim, I said. And he walked out as quickly as he come in, a seed sower in a physician's smock. Now, you may not be a physician and have a phys- physician's smock, but you might be a carpenter. You might be retired. You might be an office worker. You might be a bus driver. You might be all kinds of different things and wear a smock through your daily life. And who can you give seeds of peace to that you come across each day? This morning, you have the opportunity. um, After the service, we'll have a prayer team down here. If you do not have peace with God, if you do not know Jesus Christ, your Savior, they would love to share with you as well as any of our staff how you can have peace with God. 
If you are a believer and things are just overwhelming right now, don't walk that path alone. Come, they would love to pray with you and encourage you. Walk that with other believers. Help us come alongside of you if that's where you're at today. And for all of us to leave people around us with seeds of peace that come from that promise that, that God gave, the, uh, the angels gave the, the shepherds that day, that we have peace on earth to those that are God is well pleased. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for sending Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope we have in him. Thank you for eternity. Thank you for the love you have for us. Thank you the peace you give us deep down in our heart. Let us offer that. Let's be that to people around us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.